Amen. Okay, we'll meet you out in the foyer, guys. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land about it. They have already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this uh, report about you will say, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land. He promised them on oath, so he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed, just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of these people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. Teach us to listen to you and to trust you, even in the face of seemingly insurmountable odds. For you are with us, and we can do all things through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Brian. Hey, everybody, uh, worshiping here. Good to see you all, and all of you worshiping online. Thank you. Um, one thing I'd like to remind you about once in a while is to check out uh, our Sunday link page. 
you go to faithwestwood.com forward slash Sunday links. And if you've never done that, you, you can find out who's doing what in worship today um, and fill out a connection card. You can discover what's happening at Faith Westwood. You can give to mission and ministry. You can submit a prayer request and, um, and even more stuff. Um, and then uh, FYI, every year uh, we have a, an all-church meeting called a church conference to approve these required reports. And uh, it, I am obligated to announce to you uh, a few times that uh, when it's coming up, and it's going to be this Tuesday at 6.30 at uh, St. Luke Church, there'll be a few other churches there, and it will be a rollicking good time. <laughs> you don't believe me, do you? All right, here we go. In our August survey, uh, more than 70% of you said you wanted to hear from me directly on issues that affect our choice of what denomination we're going to be in. And uh, last Sunday, I held the first of two Todd Talks. Not TED Talks, but anyway. And we had more than 100 there. Uh, there's another one today, the second one. And it's at 5 o'clock right here in the Worship Center. And even if you didn't sign up, just show up, okay? Uh, last Sunday, I'll do the same talk uh, that I'm going to do tonight. And uh, I'll answer three questions, respond to three questions. What's the most important reason to choose the United Methodist Church or the Global Methodist Church? And what does the Bible teach us about same-sex relationships? And what impact could a vote have on Faith Westwood? Now, uh, we've been making October a month of prayer and fasting, and we've been praying this certain prayer uh, all month in worship. We'll continue to do that. So let's join together as we pray it now, shall we? Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, in your mercy you have called Faith Westwood to be a community of Jesus' people, saved by grace through faith. Good and kind Father, let us not forsake the love we had at first, and if we have forsaken that love, we repent. Lord Jesus, we want to love you keep your commands, and follow in your steps. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth. As we enter this time of discernment about our denominational affiliation, make us wise through the Holy Scriptures so we do not just listen to what we want to hear. Save us from being deceived by the evil one. As we make our individual decisions, help us to do so not based on sentiment or anger or wishful thinking, but based on your will for us. May every word we say and every action we take be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, uh, think back to uh, summer or look forward to next summer. It's July 4th, okay? And you have two really big rockets to launch. Uh, and this is the grand finale of your display. And, and then you look at them and you go, one of them has only a half-inch fuse. And the other one has a six-inch fuse. Apparently, somebody cut off five and a half inches of that first fuse. No wonder it was on sale. <laughs> 
So if this rocket has, if it needs a six-inch fuse, it may not be smart to light the identical one, but that has only a half-inch fuse. And desiring to avoid a trip to the emergency room, you decide to just light the one with the longer fuse. Good choice. And you know, it's a lot the same with people. If you're around somebody with a short fuse, well, then you never know when they're going to go off, and you're going to feel the heat. Other people are more even-tempered and, and measured in their anger. Some people don't seem to get angry much ever at all. Now, how do you imagine God is? It, it, you imagine God as someone with a lightning-fast fuse or, or somebody who never gets angry or someone who's even-tempered and measured in their anger. Well, today we're continuing our series, uh, Good Morning, This is God, and our primary scripture is Exodus 34, 6. And, and this is where God reveals to Moses some important aspects about his character. So here's that verse. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, as we've been learning in this series, whenever you see the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it's, it's, the, it's translating the Hebrew name for God, which is Yahweh, and it means I am. Now, today we're going to focus on the middle characteristic here where it says the Lord is slow to anger. Now, I, I would say a lot of people today figure, well, why would God ever get angry, right? So the Bible says that God does get angry, but anger does not define the character of God. Uh, so let's look at the contrast. It says the Lord is slow to anger, but abounding in love. It's kind of like if you're driving the car, God taps the brakes on his anger, but he puts the pedal to the metal on his love and faithfulness. In the book of Exodus, God uh, delivers the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and then brings them to the holy mountain and makes a covenant with them. So he says, you know, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And then, real shortly after that, after they agree to the covenant, they, they are, they're bowing to a golden calf and saying, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And so the Lord tells Moses, I've had it. Enough with these people. I'm going to destroy them all. And I'm, Moses, I'm going to make your descendants into my chosen nation. And then, surprisingly, the Lord lets Moses talk him out of it. I mean, it's one of the most puzzling parts of the Bible. Did Moses actually change God's mind? Or was God hoping that Moses would plead on behalf of his people? Or was God only threatening to, uh, but not really planning to kill them all? I don't know. Someday in heaven I'm going to have to ask God about that. What, what were you doing back then? But that's not our focus today. Today we're looking at the anger of God and what does it mean that the Lord is slow to anger. So I want you to consider this. Only a God who passionately loves us would get angry with sin, which damages and distorts us. 
And out of that love, God is patient with us, hoping we will turn back before it's too late. And that's really the, the heart of the message today. It's a thing I hope that you'll, you'll take home with you. It's a lot to remember, so you might want to write it down or take a picture of the screen. And, and of course, as I always say, I hope you'll talk about it at home with your family or maybe with uh, your faith group. Will you say it with me? Only a God who passionately loves us would get angry with sin, which damages and distorts us. And out of that love, God is patient with us, hoping we will turn back before it's too late. All right, grab a Bible. If you brought yours, great. If you're not, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. And we're going to turn to Numbers chapter 14, starting with verse 10. Now, this is the same generation that God delivered from Egypt, and now they are camped at the edge of the promised land, waiting for a report from 12 spies they sent in to scout it out. Ten of, when they come back, 10 of the spies say that the people living in the promised land, oh, they're too powerful. We should not go in there. If we do, we're all going to die. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, give a positive report. And Caleb says, we should go in. The Lord is with us. We can do it. And the other ten say, no way. These people, I mean, they're like giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. They're just going to squish us. And the people believe the ten. And all night they are just weeping and wailing. What are we going to do? We wish we had died in Egypt or here in this desert rather than face this fierce enemy. Verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them, that is, Joshua and Caleb. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So uh, usually that was a, a cloud that would call, come down and fall upon the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And people knew that this was the presence of God before them. And verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. So this is the second time God threatens to destroy what he calls these stiff-necked people who refuse to trust him. And then Moses gives the Lord his take on it. Yes, plan A with these people has its problems, but so would plan B. Verses 15, 16. Moses says, if you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, Yahweh was not able to bring these people into the, into the land. He promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now, the way I see it, God could go with either plan A or plan B. I mean, God is always adjusting his plans along the way, depending on what we do, right? God can either work with us or work around us. And then in verse 18, Moses remembers what God said back at Mount Sinai. But I notice here he's a little strategic in how he quotes it because he leads 
with slow to anger. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. You know, it's interesting that the, the word in Hebrew that we translate anger also means knows. Did you know that? The Hebrew word anger is also the same word for knows. And so the idea is that when, when you get angry, and like Leah said, you know, your face gets flushed, including your nose. And in the Old Testament, when, when, you, when a person gets angry, it says, your nose burns hot. That's how they said it. And, and it may also have to do with uh, kind of the flaring of nostrils when you get angry. Try it. Flare your nostrils a little bit. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? Maybe you also feel a tiny bit angry. And, and the word for slow in Hebrew also means long. So literally in the Hebrew, it says the Lord is long of nose. But it means slow to anger. Now obviously they didn't believe that God literally had a nose, but they, they often used uh, what we call anthropomorphic language to talk about God. And it means that God's anger is never impulsive. Sometimes God might express his judgment quickly or what would seem quick to us. But, but God never reacts rashly. Still, God can and does get angry. And you know, when you think about it, that's a good thing. Because God would not be a good God if he didn't get angry about some things. I remember in, uh, one of, in high school, one of my math teachers, he, he really knew his stuff, but his classrooms were like mayhem. You know, kids were talking all the time. Sometimes stuff was being thrown, and people were gathering around telling jokes. And a couple of times a semester, he would grab the yardstick and <laughs> slam it on his desk. And, you know, we was, it would shake us all up here a little bit, and then, then he would lecture us for about, um, and scold us for about 10 minutes, and, and then the room would be quiet the rest of the period. Were you, did you ever have a class like that? Anyway, but you know, it wasn't very many days later, the party would start to gradually go back to the way it was before. Now, you could say he was slow to anger, but I'm not sure if it was in a very healthy way. You know, we humans, we it's challenging for us, isn't it, to express our anger in a healthy way. Sometimes I wish God would not be so slow in his anger. I mean, I think about the, the missiles that Russia has dropped on Ukraine this last week. You think God's angry about that? I do. And some way, sometime, I believe God will uh, you know, give Russia his judgment upon them. And now as we look at their, their failing invasion and their own people fleeing Russia to avoid the draft, you know, I am still praying that this will lead to the downfall of the current Russian government. I don't know. It's harder for us to think about what things might God be judging this country for. So what did we say before? Only a God who passionately loves us would get angry with sin, which damages and distorts us. And out of that love, God 
is patient with us, hoping we will turn back before it's too late. Uh, scholar N.T. Wright says, when God looks at sin, it's like when, what a violin maker might experience seeing someone use his lovely creation as a tennis racket. Now, if you were the violin maker seeing somebody use your, your, your exquisite violin as, as, a, as a tennis racket, you'd get angry, wouldn't you? Do loving parents sometimes get angry with their kids? Apparently, right? Uh, but as parents, we have to learn to restrain our anger because for two reasons. It's easy to get angry for the wrong reasons and sometimes to express it in wrong ways. And that's why we are supposed to also be like God and be slow to anger. James chapter 1 says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and especially slow to become angry. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, it's not saying we should never get angry, but usually anger is a dangerous emotion for us. And so we have to express it in healthy, holy ways, which is hard to do. Now, going back to Numbers 14, Moses intercedes for the people and, and, and asks God one more time, you know, don't destroy them. And God does forgive them. But they're still going to face the consequence of their choice. They said they were not going to enter the promised land. Okay, then. You're going to remain stuck here in the desert. And they remained there, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation dies. And then... God gives the next generation the chance to enter the promised land. The poetry of Psalm 30, verse 5, gives a wonderful reason to praise the holy name of God. It says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So it's just making a great comparison contrast there. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Now, if the idea of God getting angry sounds harsh to your ears, just remember that this anger is part of his love. And you know, that's what the cross is all about. On the cross, God pronounced both his condemnation of sin and his love for sinners. The Lord had had every reason to be angry with a, a Pharisee named Saul. Uh, he persecuted Jesus' people. He put them in jail. He even approved of their executions. But here's the story. God was patient with Saul. And after Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, he started going by his Roman name, Paul, and taking the good news all across the empire. And here's what he wrote to his friend Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his what? His immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And God is immensely patient with you. 
God is immensely patient with you. Are you living in rebellion against God in some way? Are you selfish? Has your love for money and things become more important than your love for God? Do you excuse your lies? Have lustful eyes become your habit? Do you engage in sex outside of marriage? Do you have a quick, hot temper? Have you shown contempt for your parents or your children? Do you covet what others possess? Have you compromised your integrity to gain the approval of others? If we have, and we all have to some extent, then you should know that all sins are condemned by God and, and we, we place ourselves under his judgment. But remember this, only a God who passionately loves us would get angry with sin, which damages and distorts us. And out of that love, God is patient. We said immensely patient with us, hoping we will turn back before it's too late. So, will you turn back? Will you turn to the God whose love for you is so rich and full and abounding and who is immensely patient with you? Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, thank you for this immense patience that you have. Thank you that your anger is just not just meanness or wrath, but, but part of your abounding love. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. And you know how we deceive ourselves sometimes. Lord, please forgive, our, forgive us for hardening our hearts toward you. Forgive us and give us an opportunity to start over. Lord Jesus, by your death on the cross, you spoke to the world that, that there is a God who hates sin and loves sinners. And even now, you are reaching out to us. Even now, you are calling us home. Holy Spirit, come and make your home inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. And now we're going to continue our prayer time with some silence, and we'll take a couple of minutes, and you may pray and bring to your heart, bring to the Lord whatever is on your heart now. You can pray where you're seated, or you're also welcome to come forward and stand or kneel at the steps to pray.